So I was talking to my counselor recently, and I was telling him about things that I was worried about for my future. So I was talking about things that I was worried about weren't going to pan out the way that I was hoping that they were going to pan out. And so after talking kind of for a long time, he kind of made a simple statement. Um, He said, it sounds like you have trouble believing that God has good plans for you. And I was like, huh, yeah, I do have trouble believing that. I have a tendency to worry about the future. What about you? Do you have a tendency to worry about your future? Do you worry about uh, your finances, about uh, if you pick the right major, your career, uh, maybe your romantic future, if you're going to find the one and ride off into the sunset? Do you worry about your relationships with your family, hoping that at some point that that's going to get better if it's not good now? I think a lot of us worry about our future. So we're going to talk today uh, about a story in Ruth 1, um, and we're going to talk about two characters who were not worried about the future. And because they weren't worried about the future, they were able to focus on their present and show sacrificial love to each other. So before we get into that passage um, in Ruth 1, I want to give you just a little bit of background. So the story's about Ruth and Naomi, um, Ruth, or sorry, Naomi lived in Judah, okay? So she lived in Judah with her husband and her sons, uh, but then they had to move because there was a famine. There wasn't enough food in Judah, so they had to move to Moab. So they moved to Moab, there's food there, they're good to go. Then her sons uh, marry Moabite women, so they marry Ruth and Orpah, okay? And so everything's good, family's good over there, but then tragedy strikes. So Naomi's husband dies. And then uh, not too long after that, both of Naomi's sons also die. And so you have Ruth and Naomi and uh, uh, Ruth's sister-in-law Orpah. You just have three widows. And they're in a pretty vulnerable and precarious situation. So the, the culture was such back then that if you didn't have a male in your family, and Ruth and Orpah had not been able to have children, if you didn't have a male in your family, you were vulnerable in a lot of different ways. You were vulnerable financially, you were vulnerable legally, you were vulnerable to be taken advantage of in various different ways. And so being three widows, uh, they were headed for a life of poverty They were headed for a life of loneliness, headed for a life where they could very easily be taken advantage of. And so you could understand in that kind of situation if they were worried about their future. So let's see what happens with them. So we're going to look at Ruth 1, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 9. All right. So, then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and, she, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So how does Naomi respond when there is a crisis situation in her life? She doesn't respond by trying to make sure that she's secure. She doesn't respond by trying to make sure that she has everything she needs. 
She responds by trying to do what's best for Ruth and for Orpah. She says, hey, I want you to go back to your families. I want you to try and get remarried, try and have children, try and have a husband, try and have the the happy, ideal life that every woman at that time would dream of, right? I want what's best for you, and I'm just going to go back to Judah by myself. So she she shows self-sacrificial love for them. She's not putting her interests first. She's putting their interests first. I think we all have a tendency, so can you guys advance the slide for me? My clicker's not working. I think we all have a tendency, especially when we are interacting with our families, to have the opposite sort of response to what Naomi had, right? We have an attitude that's like a, a what can I get out of it attitude. I was teaching this in KidZone recently, um, and the kids really resonated with this, that, that they kind of tend to have a what-can-I-get-out-of-it attitude when they're interacting with their families, right? You're thinking about what are my rights, what do I deserve, am I being treated fairly? And I think that's part of the human condition, right, that we're selfish, we're self-centered. We, ch- we tend to, to look out for number one, we tend to do what is going to be best for us, and it's part of why we worry about our future, too. We want to make sure that in our future that we're, that we're happy, that we're getting what we want, that we're um, satisfied, that we prove ourselves to the people that we feel like it's important to prove ourselves to. And so that's part of the human condition, part of our sin, that we are self-centered. The funny thing about that, though, is we don't always see it in ourselves, right? It's really easy to see someone else is self-centered, but it's hard to see it in ourselves. It's hard to see that tendency in ourselves. So I'm going to play a quick clip for you that I think really displays that uh, reality, that it's hard to see how self-centered we are. So it's from the movie Avengers, um, and it's the moment when uh, the two main characters have just been attacked by like the villain character, Loki, and they're trying to figure out what Loki's going to do next. And what I want you to pay attention to is what happens when Tony sort of realizes that he's a little more self-centered like Loki than he would like to admit. Now, Loki needs a power source. If we can put together a list... You made a personal. That's not the point. That is the point. That's Loki's point. He hit us all right where we live. Why? To tear us apart. Yeah, divide and conquer is great, but he knows he has to take us out to win, right? That's what he wants. He wants to beat us. He wants to be seen doing it. He wants an audience. Right. I caught his act in Stuttgart. Yeah. That's just previews. This is this is opening night, and Loki, he's a full-tilt diva. He wants flowers, he wants parades, he wants a monument built to the skies with his name plastered. Son of a Son of a beep. Um, so in that moment, what Tony realizes is he has a monument built to the sky with his name on it, and Loki's about to attack it. So he's talking about how Loki is, is self-centered. Loki is a diva. Loki wants an audience. Loki wants flowers. Loki's a lot more like me than I realized, right? He wants a tower built to the sky with his name on it. And I think we're actually all a little bit more like Loki than we realize, than we would like to admit, right? We tend to focus on self-preservation, right? On getting what we want, And so that's what makes this passage interesting, because that's what Naomi does not do. She's in the midst of a crisis. Literally, her whole world is falling down around her. She's headed for poverty. She's headed for, like, no good things. 
And what she's doing is looking out for Ruth and Orpah. She's putting their interests before her own. So um, there's a scholar named Daniel Block, and he talks about the Hebrew word for love. So you can switch the slide. The Hebrew word for love in this passage is ahave. Say ahave. So the Hebrew word for love is ahave, and he talks about it's not about feelings. It's not about this, like, you know, little pitter-patter of your heart. Um, It's about acting in the interest of the other person and sacrificing your own interest. He says the Hebrew word for love is about total commitment to the well-being of the other person. Right? Total commitment to the well-being of the other person. And that's what Naomi shows in this passage. She shows she's totally committed to their well-being. And that's what the kind of love that Jesus shows for us, right? That's the kind of love he showed for us on the cross. Because the cross wasn't a good career move for Jesus, right? It wasn't good for his future. He wasn't looking out for number one. He was doing what was best for us. He was showing ahave love. And not only did Jesus show that for us, but he also calls us to show that kind of love. So Jesus calls us to spend our lives in self-sacrificial love for God and for others. He calls us to spend our lives in self-sacrificial love for God and for others. So we've seen how Naomi responded to this situation, to this crisis that she was in. Next, we're going to look at how Ruth and Orpah respond. So, verse 10. And Ruth and Orpah said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for is it exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me? Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So they both say, both Ruth and Orpah say, hey, we'll go back with you. We'll go back with you. Don't worry about it. But for Orpah, that is not a sincere offer, right? Because we know just a few verses later, it says Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. That's Orpah piecing out, okay? So it's almost like that moment where there's like one piece of pizza left and you and your friend are both looking at it and one of you is like, hey, you can have it. And then the other one's like, no, I'm not hungry. You can have it. But you both really want that piece of pizza and you've both been staring at it. That's kind of like what Orpah's like here. She's like, no, I'm, I'm going to come with you, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to come with you to Judah. And she's like halfway out the door. And that's what we're like, right? We tend to uh, practice self-preservation. You can't blame Orpah here, right? She's, she's, uh, she's pursuing the American dream. She's going she's gonna, to, you know, do what's necessary for her to be a success. She's doing what every Disney movie says that you should do. Look down deep inside and find a way to be happy. And she's worried about her future if she stays with Naomi, so she's going to peace out. And she's going to make sure that she has a comfortable, happy life. And then there's such a contrast with Naomi's ahave love for Orpah. So look at this contrast. Orpah 
is committed to her own well-being. Naomi is committed to Orpah's well-being. Orpah shows a concern for self-preservation. Naomi shows self-sacrificial love. Naomi shows Christ-like love. Now hear me on this. Uh, It's so important that we know that as followers of Christ, we're not called to self-preservation. Right? Followers of the crucified Lord are not called to self-preservation. That's not what we're about. That's not what Jesus was about, and we've taken his name, right? We've said that we're going to be like him, and so we are not called to self-preservation. Instead, Jesus calls us to spend our lives on self-sacrificial love for God and for others. So we've gone over how did Naomi respond to the situation, how did Orpah responded to the situation. Now we're going to look at the best part. How does Ruth respond? So verse 15. And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Ruth responds to Naomi's ahave love with ahave love of her own, right? And Ruth is totally sincere. She's not giving any sort of like insincere orpa, you can have the last pizza pizza sort of offer here. And so Naomi stops trying to convince her. Three times now she's tried to convince her, and now Naomi stops because she recognizes that Ruth loves her. She recognizes that Ruth is committed to her well-being. So let me uh, just flesh out a little bit some of the cultural background here and how, help you see how significant what Ruth was doing was here. So Ruth is from Moab, right? And she's going to go back with Naomi to Judah. Those two countries were not friends, Those two countries had a long history of conflict. And in fact, if you were a Moabite and you were going into Judah, there were restrictions on where you could go. There were restrictions on what you could do, right? And so Ruth is making a decision to go into somewhere that's hostile to her because she's not worried about her future. She has a total commitment to the well-being of the other. So let me um, give you an example that will help kind of uh, make this current a little bit. Imagine you have a friend named Jessica. Jessica is married to a Russian guy. His name is Sergei. They've been married for 10 years, and they've been wanting to have kids, but they haven't been able to have kids. And then unfortunately, one day, Sergei and his brother die in a tragic car accident. And then soon after that, their father, Sergei's father, also dies um, in in a freak accident. And so now it's just Jessica, her mother-in-law, Olga, and her sister-in-law, Mary, right? And Olga is inconsolable. She's depressed. She thinks God is mad at her. She thinks there's no hope. Nothing good is going to happen to her for the rest of her life. She's going to move back to Russia, and she says, hey, girls, I just want you to stay here. I want you to start over. You can have a happy life. And so when you meet up with Jessica to see how she's doing, because her husband's just died, she says, She's going back to Russia with Olga. And you think, I don't know if that's a good idea, Jessica. Right? 
If you've watched the news lately, there's, there's a little bit of tension right now between the U.S. and Russia. Jessica doesn't know the language there. She doesn't know the culture there. There's going to be some racial tension, right? She doesn't have a good chance to get a job. She's going to have a hard time scraping together a living there. And so as you're talking to Jessica, what are you going to advise her to do? Stay in the U.S. where she has family and friends and connections and possibilities? Or move to Russia? (laughs) Right? We're going to advise her to go for number one. We're going to advise her to to practice self-preservation, to do what's best for her. But that's not what Ruth does in this passage. She shows ahave love. She is so dedicated to loving her mother-in-law that she's just putting everything else aside. So there's a passage in Matthew 13 where Jesus talks about our commitment to him and our commitment to the kingdom of God, and it reminds me of this passage. So Jesus talks about, he says, hey, this is how committed you should be to the kingdom. This is how committed you should be to me. It should be like someone who finds a treasure in a field, and because he wants that treasure so bad, he sells everything he has and buys that field. That's what Ruth does here. She buys the field. She's moving to Russia. That's how committed she is to loving her mother-in-law. And it's a beautiful example of God's love for us. It's a beautiful example of how Christ loves us. Jesus showed that kind of love for us on the cross. And Jesus calls us to spend our lives in self-sacrificial love for him and for others. So we talked earlier about worry, right? We talked about worry about the future. And you might hear this story and you might think like, how does Ruth do that? How does she just not worry about her future at all and just be focused on loving her mother-in-law? Well, let me say a few things about that. As someone who spends a lot of time worrying about the future, let me assure you that it does not help. It's like running on a hamster wheel, right? There's lots of effort and there's no progress. And in that moment, when we are just consumed with worry, tied up in a knot with worry, what we need is to remember the gospel. What we need is to remember that the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for us loves us. And that God says, I have good plans for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. That God says, I am working for your good, Romans 8. And so when you can hold on to those things, when you can hold on and believe that God is still here, God is still in control, God is still working, you can have enough peace to be present and see what opportunities you have right now to love other people. Do you know that Ruth was actually one of the ancestors of King David? So one of the greatest leaders of God's people ever. God is bringing about King David in the story of Ruth. It looks like the walls are coming down for Ruth, but actually, God is working. And do you know that Ruth is actually an ancestor of Jesus? And so again, it looks like everything is coming apart. It looks like even God must be worried about me at this point. But what's actually happening is God is working. And so when you go back to the gospel, And when you believe that God is good and he has good plans for you and he's in control, you can look at the crisis situation that you're in right now and you can ask yourself, what might God be doing 
in the midst of this crisis? What might God be doing in the midst of this crisis? What might God want to do through me in the midst of this crisis? If you are anchored in believing that you can trust him, that he is good, that he is sovereign, it opens you up to love others self-sacrificially, to look for opportunities to show love to others and point them to Jesus. So let me share just a few points of application. How can you love others? How can you spend your life on self-sacrificial love for God and for others? I think one way you can do that is to serve your church. When you, come on a Saturday, when you come on a Sunday morning and you have a Sunday morning experience, you might not know that it takes about like 200-some volunteers to put that together, right? There's 200-some people saying, I'm going to sacrifice my time, I'm going to sacrifice my own interests, and show love to others. I want to make sure that when somebody comes to a church, right, we've been, we've been told sometimes that people would come to our church and then they would not find a parking spot and get too scared and leave, right? And so the people who serve in the like crazy cold out there want to make sure that someone can find a parking spot, especially if they're new. The people who prepare the donuts, who prepare the, the coffee, want to make sure that our church is a welcoming atmosphere, People who take care of kids want to allow the parents to go and be able to spend an hour worshiping and learning from God's word. The people who uh, use their musical skills to lead somebody into worship, they are choosing to spend their lives self-sacrificially for God and others. It's one way that you can do that is by serving your church. Another way you can do that is by serving in your community. Right? So you can go and find all kinds of cool opportunities on Redemption's website to serve in our community. Let me tell you about just a few of them. Right? You can go serve with Urban Vision. You can serve with vulnerable refugee kids who are going to school in English for the first time. You can go serve with blessings, with vulnerable teen moms who are in a situation similar to Ruth and Naomi's, right? And they need... Um, they need all kinds of things, and you can, you can help to provide those kind of things through that, through that ministry. You can go and serve with legacies of success and help build homes for people who've never had a home before, who've never owned a home. That's another way that you can spend your life on sacrificial love for Christ and others. Last way that I would suggest is in your life decisions. I would encourage you, when you're making big life decisions— to not think, how can I make the most money? To not think, how can I make sure that I'm going to like find my true love and ride off into the sunset? To not think, how can I, um, how can I make the move that's going to be best for my career? But to instead think, how can I spend my life on self-sacrificial love for God and for others? How can I put others before myself just like Christ did for me? So if you're like me, you tend to let the worry monster steal the present. You get all caught up in, just tied up in knots, worrying about the future, worrying about this or that, and you might miss opportunities to love others. Or if you're like me in another way, and you're like Orpah, you might just be uh, selfish. <laughs> you might make decisions based on self-preservation, make decisions based on what's best for you. And Jesus calls us to a better way. He calls us to spend our lives on self-sacrificial love for him and for others. So dream with me for a second. 
What would it be like if we had a church full of people who practiced this kind of love? If we had a church full of people who put others before themselves, who were fully committed to others, how might God work through a church like that? I think he could do awesome things in us and through us. Thanks.